and welcome to Crescent Church Online. We're now well into the lockdown as we struggle to beat the virus. And I'm sure that those of you who normally attend our services at Crescent Church Belfast are missing those occasions. But we're thankful for the technology that allows us to have fellowship, to pray, sing and listen to teaching from God's Word. I trust that you will enjoy the next 50 minutes or so and be blessed by it. Our speaker at today's service is Nicholas Greer. Nicholas will be continuing our series from 1 Peter. We're going to sing our first hymn now, and it's And Can It Be That I Should Gain an Interest in the Saviour's Blood. Please join in at home, and after that, we'll have a word of prayer. It's 
us pray. Our loving God and Heavenly Father, we come into your presence in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask for your blessing on our service today as we gather from our own homes, physically distanced from each other, but united in a bond of love. We ask for protection for all the members and families of our church. We think particularly of those who, because of underlying health conditions, are vulnerable to the disease. As we endure the isolation of lockdown, we acknowledge that for some it is a very lonely time. We would ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would bring comfort and reassurance to those who need it most. Help all of us to be thoughtful of the needs of others at this time and to show acts of kindness to those less fortunate than ourselves. We pray for the leaders of our country. Grant them wisdom as they plan for a way out of our current situation. We pray for those in the scientific and medical community who are searching for a vaccine or treatments for the virus. We give thanks for the selflessness of those who work in our health and social services and all that they are doing for us. So now as we commence our service, we ask for a sense of your presence in our homes. Amen. Here at Crescent Church, we're planning to start a series of online discussions. Using small groups brought together by Zoom, we'll explore the truth about some of life's big questions, such as how do we explain our existence? Is there a creator? Or are we a product of natural processes? Each person who participates will get the opportunity to express their own views and ask questions. These interactive sessions will draw upon different worldviews of eminent scientists, philosophers and theologians. So why not join us? The session will commence on Tuesday the 26th of May at 7.45. Further details are on our website. Monique Russell is going to bring us the kids slot now and after that I hope you'll join us in a further hymn, Ancient of Days. This hymn has been recorded by the Crescent Worship Band and Singers. The Beginning, A Perfect Home In the beginning there was nothing, nothing to hear, nothing to feel, nothing to see, only emptiness and darkness and nothing. But God was there and he had a wonderful plan. I'll take this emptiness and I'll fill it up, God said. Out of the darkness I'm going to make light and out of the nothing I'm going to make everything. God hovered over the deep, silent darkness and then he spoke. That's all. And whatever he said, it happened. God said, let there be light. And the light shone into the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. You're good, God said. And they were. Then God said, let there be sea and sky. And a great space opened up wide and deep and high. You're good, God said. And they were. Then God said, let there be land and there splashing up through the oceans came cliffs and mountains and sandy beaches. You're good, God said, and they were. Let there be trees and grass and flowers and everything everywhere burst into life. You're good, God said, and they were. Let there be sun and moon and stars, God said. And whizzing into the darkness came fairy globes spinning around and around, whirling orange and purple and golden planets. 
You're good, God said, and they were. Let there be birds, God said. And with a fluttering and flapping and chirping and singing, birds fill the skies. Let there be fish, God said. And with a darting and dashing and wriggling and splashing, fish fill the seas. You're good, God said. And they were. Then God said, let there be animals. And everyone came out to play. The earth was filled with noisy noises, growling and gobbling and snapping and snorting. You're good, God said. And they were. God saw all that he had made and he loved them. And they were lovely because he loved them. But God saved the best for last. From the beginning, God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness. They would be his children and the world would be their perfect home. So God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they saw was God's face. And God said, You are the most beautiful of everything I have made. God loved them with all of his heart and they were lovely because he loved them. And Adam and Eve joined in the song of the stars and the streams and the wind and the trees. The wonderful song of love to the one who made them. Their hearts were filled with happiness and nothing ever made them sad or lonely or sick or afraid. God looked at everything he had made. Perfect, he said. And it was. But all the stars and the mountains and the oceans and galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would move heaven and earth to be near them. Always. Whatever happened, whatever it cost him, he would always love them. And so it was that the wonderful love story began.
Well, I hope you enjoyed our online worship. And now Jim Crooks is going to bring the reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. And that will be followed by Nicholas Greer bringing the message. Our reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefather, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Good morning. I never thought I would find myself saying the words I would rather be in a pulpit than here in my own living room. But here we are. I would rather be in a pulpit than here safe in my own living room. But that is the time that we're living in, isn't it? And thankfully the Lord has graciously given us the technology and the means and the people who are able to stitch things together to allow us to continue in fellowship together for as long as this strange time that we're in lasts for. Last week, Tim started us off in our new series in 1 Peter and covered the first 12 or so verses of chapter 1. And we're continuing this morning in chapter 1, picking up at verse 13. And that has already been read for us by Jim. And thank you, Jim, for reading it. I recently had a strange experience that I know many of you will have shared. I went back to a shop that I worked in whenever I was a teenager. And that was quite a while ago now, probably 15 years since I've worked in it. And uh, when I worked there, the owner's children would be often with him and they would run around the shop and, and uh, they were little boys. And um, I was back recently and uh, one of the boys has taken on the family business and he didn't recognise me. So as I was browsing around the shop, I was able to listen and look and see him interacting with the customers. And it was really unnerving because it was like seeing his, his dad, it was like seeing his father, the, 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 uh, the turn of phrase, the mannerisms, and um, the way that he would do or say something. It was, if I, I wasn't looking at him, it was just like his dad. The family resemblance uh, was so striking. And maybe you've had an experience like that. You've met an old friend's child, or you've seen someone, uh, and you've been struck by how much there is a family resemblance there. And in our verses this morning, that's what Peter's hoping for in his hearers. He's looking to see a bit of a family resemblance in our lives, a bit of a reflection of our Father. So that when people would look at us, they would be struck by the fact that there is a resemblance to our Heavenly Father. And the key verse for that, the key and central verse for our passage this morning is, is, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. 
And that idea of you being holy for I am holy is a consistent theme across uh, Old and New Testaments. It's mentioned multiple times in Leviticus and that's probably where Peter is pulling this quote from. And it, it remains a consistent theme throughout the New Testament. Tim took us through the first part of the chapter, as we've said last week, and, and he pointed out how strange it is. Peter is writing to this group of people who are, in, in their own ways, in their own locations, suffering persecution. Um, they're being persecuted. They're finding life very difficult at the moment. And in writing to those people, Peter starts uh, not with empathy, not even with a prayer, but with this long, wonderful passage where he exalts God and the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and verse 13 then, our, our first verse this morning, takes us forward from that point. Peter takes that wonderful theological outpouring that he has given us and he pivots it and brings it into application into the lives of his hearers, including our lives today. And I wonder uh, if you were writing that letter to people you knew were suffering or struggling, what application you would give them. I don't know what I would start with, but I probably wouldn't have made my first application this. And yet there's no accident that that is why Peter starts here. You be holy as he who called you is holy. Be holy, he says, in all your conduct. So what is holiness? What is holiness? It's, holiness is one of those words that is possible to live your Christian life for 20 years, to hear it used and to use it yourself and never be totally clear on what holiness really means. So let's think about that. Throughout his letter, we're going to see Peter is trying to unsettle us. He's trying to, he's trying to unsettle us in our lives in this world. Sometimes he does that very bluntly and obviously. He calls us sojourners and exiles. An exile is someone who uh, doesn't belong. We, by the way, haven't been exiled from heaven. We've been exiled from the world around us in Peter's mind. And we are going to our heavenly home. So sometimes he's trying to unsettle us quite obviously. But other times it's more subtle. He's already told us that our faith is, is more valuable than gold. And in today's passage, he tells us that we weren't redeemed with corruptible things like gold. What could be more valuable in our world's economy than gold, the representation of wealth and power? And yet Peter is trying to undermine that, to unsettle us, to make us feel that perhaps we don't quite fit here. I remember uh, a, a man who worked with my father, a colleague of my father's, had been on a trip, a holiday, to America, to Virginia or West Virginia. And uh, they'd stopped at the end of the day for a rest and they pulled into the parking lot of a, a bar and they'd gone inside for a drink to refresh themselves. And they sat down in their booth. And before they even got to ordering something, they started to notice things. First, they noticed the Confederate flag on the wall and then they thought goodness me there's a lot of bald people here people with shaven heads and then they started to notice the tattoos on some of their arms and suddenly this creeping feeling came over them we don't really belong here we don't really fit in here this isn't our kind of place and that feeling of being unsettled of not belonging is exactly what Peter is trying to provoke in us. 
Peter wants us to see the elements of the world around us and, and feel that similar unease. So why does he talk about holiness then? Well, one of the very human responses to persecution, to suffering from the world around you is to want to fit in, to want to look more like the world, to be just like them. And that way we'll not be persecuted as much because we seem to be just like everyone else. And I know I find that impulse in myself. But Peter is not going to let us away with that. Peter immediately tells these people that you must be holy. You must be different. You must be separate. Holiness fundamentally starts with God. God, we're told throughout the Bible, wants a, a holy people for himself. He wants a people for himself who are holy. We're told in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are saved to make us holy. That is why uh, the Lord has saved us, to make us holy. And Peter's really pressing that point home here. But we still haven't really answered the question of what does it mean to be holy? Holiness is fundamentally a, a separation, a difference, an otherness nearly, if you like. If we start with God, God is holy um, because he is separate from everything else. He is totally different, totally unique, um, and, and totally without parallel. So I would fit into several categories. I would fit into the category of physical object. I would fit into the category of human being. I would fit into the category of man or male. Um, and many of you listening share those categories. But there is no category for God that anyone else shares. God is unique. Everything that is not God was created by God. He is God, the Bible tells us, and there is none other. So God's distinctiveness, his differentness, his otherness, his separateness, we talk about his holiness. We talk about his holiness. And the visual pictures of the Old Testament then pick up that idea. And they teach us that things that were used in the worship and the sacrificial system were holy. They were set aside just to be used in the worship of God. They weren't to be used for anything else. If a priest took uh, one of the, the garments or the containers um, from the temple or the tabernacle home and used it in preparing a meal or to wrap up a sick animal, well, it wouldn't be holy anymore. It would have become common. It would have become defiled. It would have become something that was ordinary. But that visual picture that is painted so clearly in the Old Testament is saying that things that are for God's worship are holy themselves. They are separate and exclusively for him. And so we are to be holy. We are to be his holy people. Why is that important? Well, Something being separate for one person teaches us something. If you go to a car park and you see a space and it says CEO on it, well, you know that there's only one man gets that space. You're only one person gets to park there. And if he's not there, no one else parks in it. And that's a sign of his position, of his authority. And that's a very poor example. But I hope it gets the idea across that things that are holy for God are a sign that God himself is holy. God is special and separate and different. And 
the most key way often that God is holy in contrast to ourselves is morally. There is no wickedness in God. There is no evil, no twistedness, no deception, no hurt or harm, no uh, corruption of any sort. And so when we talk about God being holy, that's often the language that we're thinking of. God is perfect and he is morally perfect. And so when Peter tells us that we are to be holy as God is holy, he's telling us that we need to be separate from the world around us. We need to be distinct. We need to be different. And he's telling us that we need to reflect that perfection of God. And then he gives us some reasons to be holy. So why would we be holy? Well, I can count at least three reasons in the passage. I want us just to think about them. The first is the one we've already thought about. He says, just as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Peter introduces the language of family very early here. Uh, He tells us we are to be as obedient children. And so we're brought into this family. We're brought into this idea of being in God's family. And we are the children and we are to be obedient children. And he contrasts that with the life that we had before. He says that we were, we were ransomed out of the futile life, the futile ways, the futile way of life of your forefathers that you inherited from your ancestors. That, that empty life, what does he mean when he calls a life futile? Well, he means it's, it's bankrupt, it's worthless, it doesn't achieve anything. It's self-centered ultimately. It starts and ends with ourselves. Um, And it's imperfect as well. It's corrupt. And he says, you were ransomed out of that. You were brought out of that futile way of life. And instead, you are now obedient children in the household of God. Some of you I know take on rescue dogs, rescue dogs that have been brought out of often very uh, neglectful or hurtful environments. And that dog is rescued out of that terrible environment that it has been in. And that is much like ourselves. We were ransomed out of our futile ways. But when you bring that little dog into your house, just as it has the benefit of no longer being in that terrible way of of life and living, it also has to adjust to a new way of life and living. It has to learn that it can no longer jump up on the table and eat your food, that it can no longer bite people, It can no longer do whatever it was doing that doesn't fit in with this new home and family that it finds itself in. Change in behaviour doesn't uh, bring it out of its old way of life. But once it's in the new family, it realises that it has to learn a new way of behaving. And just like that, so for us, we are obedient children in the family and the household of God our Father. And so we need to show that family resemblance. We need to recognise that our Father wants us to live in a certain way. Not to control us, uh, not because he can and forces us to do it just for his own entertainment. But because his standards, his values, his aspirations for our lives, those things that we have to live as obedient children to are ultimately for our benefit. But we are to reflect his character So that when people look at us, they see that family resemblance. So the first reason to be holy is as our Father 
is holy, as he who called you is holy. Secondly, there's the discipline of the Father. Peter tells us that we should conduct ourselves with fear during the time of our exile. And he starts that, that section by saying, and if you call on him as father, remember that he is also the impartial judge of everyone. And his and if there is really a since. He's saying, since like any child calls on its father, you are calling on your father, you are asking him for things. Since you're coming to him as a child, don't also forget that he is the impartial judge of your life and everyone's life. And what does that mean? Well, it certainly means that as Christians we live our lives with a respect and a fear of the character and justice of God. And that permeates our life. We're aware of it. And that guides our behaviour. But it also reminds us, even though it's not something perhaps that we like to think about, that our Father also reserves the right to discipline us if we stray. Just like any loving parent will correct their child, our Father in heaven, if he sees us steering back to those futile ways that we were ransomed out of, if we persistently turn ourselves away from him and back to that self-destructive way of life that we came from, he will discipline us. Now, far from it that I am saying that every sickness or every difficulty or every trial is God's discipline. That's absolutely not the case. Peter here is writing to people who are suffering, as far as I can see, for absolutely nothing wrong that they've done, in fact, for being Christians. So that's not what I'm saying. But it is clear that as our children, there are times when our Heavenly Father will discipline us if we persistently turn away from him. And so that awareness of the discipline of the Father guides our lives and motivates us to holiness. So why be holy? Well, there's the character of him who called us, the character of God. There's the discipline of the Father. And then there's the price of our redemption. Peter says, knowing that you were ransomed, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Last year, um, the most expensive watch in the world was sold, sold at auction. It was a Patek Philippe Grandmaster. It was a one of a kind. It was made specially for the auction, which was for charity. And it sold for $31 million. $31 million. Do you think the guy who bought it wears it when he's out gardening? Of course he doesn't. The more something is worth to us, the more value it has for us, the more we're prepared to pay for it. The price tag on something is a very easy way of putting a number value on how much something matters to us. And maybe you've experienced that if you've ever tried to sell your house and the estate agent comes out to value it. And I say this aware an estate agent is speaking next Sunday and we'll have a Zoom back. But the estate agent comes to your house to value it and they look around and they look at it and measure it and all, they do their things and then they give you a number and tell you this is the value of your house. But it's not the value of your house. The value of your house 
is what somebody pays you for it when it's on the open market. No more and no less. The value of the house is what someone's prepared to give you for it. So what does Peter say? Our holiness is worth to God. $31 million? Not so cheap at all. The precious blood of his son, the Lord Jesus. God so wanted us to be redeemed from our futile ways, to be brought into his family, and to be made holy and to reflect his character, that he paid the highest price that he possibly could. God the Son, the Lord Jesus, became incarnate, lived on earth, and was crucified and died in our place so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored to God. How much should being holy matter to you and me? Well, let's look at how much it mattered to God. He gave this incredible price for our holiness because it was worth it to him. So we've thought a little about what holiness is. We've thought a little about some of Peter's reasons for us to be holy. And then as we wrap up, we have to think, how do we be holy? When, when we get up tomorrow morning and go to work or uh, try to homeschool our children or have to deal with a, a difficult relative or a difficult work colleague, going about in the muck of day-to-day life, how do we be holy? Well, Peter has already told us that. He tells us we are to be obedient children. Obedient children. And the idea of telling Christians that they have to be obedient to God's standards has taken a back seat in many churches, probably starting with the generation in the upper echelons now of middle age. The notion that we have to obey quickly gets smacked down as moralistic or legalistic. Start talking about how followers of Jesus Christ have to know God's standard for their life and follow it and be obedient to it. And before long, someone's going to say to you, Stop being so legalistic, man. Don't be so legalistic. But it clearly wasn't a strange idea for Peter that Christians needed to be obedient. And it certainly wasn't a strange idea to the Lord Jesus himself. And I think probably when Peter was writing this, the last words he ever heard the Lord say on earth were echoing in his head. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptising them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Obedience to the standards and values of our loving Heavenly Father is how we work out our holiness, how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. As David reminded us a few weeks ago now, For every mile of road, we've got two miles of ditches here. And we don't really have time for me to fence the ditches properly for you, but I have to at least point them out. On one side, whenever we're thinking about this, is the ditch of true legalism. The idea that our obedience to God's standard, that doing and living our lives in a certain way, is what ransoms us out of our futile lives, is what saves us, is what redeems us. And that is absolutely and utterly and totally false. In our series in Romans a few months ago, we saw the Apostle Paul argue so clearly and persuasively 
that there is nothing that we can do or bring to God to offer that will be of any use in redeeming us, in ransoming us. And so the idea that what we're doing and living out our Christian lives contributes to our salvation is totally false and wrong. The Lord saves us in his grace. But being saved in his grace, we then continue in the Christian life, working out our salvation in fear and trembling as obedient children, in Peter's words. And then on the other side is the ditch of what you might call good living where religious obedience becomes an emphasis on outward, visible morality, things that other people can look at us and see. Uh, but really there's no spiritual life living beneath the surface there. There's nothing really going on. It's all just a show. It's all just set dressing for our lives. And that idea, that emphasis of an outward and really visible morality is probably what that middle-aged generation were rebelling against in their own parents. They saw people who put such a high premium on being seen to be good and yet their own lives behind closed doors didn't reflect that. So neither of those ditches, true legalism or good living, are what Peter's trying to, to steer us into here. He's just saying simply, as Christians... As the children of the Father, be obedient to the standards of the house that you're living in now. So how do we be holy? Well, firstly, it would sort of go without saying that we have to know God's standards and values. That's what the Lord said. We have to be taught. We have to be taught all that he has commanded us. We have to read his word, which is where we learn that. We have to hear his word taught to us. To let it sink into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives. To get to know God. To get to understand his, his values, what matters to him. Proverbs tells us that uh, the Lord loves honest weights and measures. The idea that a scale that, that a merchant is using to decide how much you're getting for your money is, is accurate. That he's not cheating you. And that would be very easy to do and would often not be seen. But the Lord loves honest weights and measures because even if those cheated never know, the Lord knows. And so the standard that is expected for us is not just exterior. This holiness that Peter is, is encouraging us to pursue must permeate our whole lives. He, he's told us that we must be holy in all your conduct is the word in the ESV, but it's the same word as we're going to find later on in the passage when we're told we're ransomed from our futile way of life. So Peter's telling us that we are to be holy in all your way of life, just as you were ransomed out of a futile way of life. So if you like, he's, he's got this picture of a total life change, not just what we do, but our internal life as well. And so that is the holiness that Peter is demanding of us, that the Father expects and hopes for us. Not just our outward behaviour, but the life of our mind, our thoughts, our aspirations, our emotions. He's expecting that holiness to permeate our Netflix account, our Facebook or Instagram account. He's expecting that holiness to permeate our humour and our conversation. He's expecting that holiness to permeate our values, our standards, our aims and goals and aspirations for our own lives. 
That holiness is to be in all our way of life. And we must remember that God is a gracious God. He's a loving father and a patient teacher. He wants the best for his children. He wants the best for you and for me. He wants us to be rescued out of our futile way of life, not twisted into the shape of the passions of our former ignorance, but by living lives that look just like him, by reflecting his holiness and his character and value, ultimately so that when those around us look at us, they see the family resemblance to the Father. Let's pray. Our loving God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you that our holiness mattered to you so much that you ransomed and redeemed us at the greatest price that you could have paid, the precious blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that our holiness matters. And we pray that we would be challenged by Peter's words this morning, that you would stir up in each of us a desire to live lives that are holy and pleasing to you, our God. Be with us publicly, privately, externally and internally, gently moulding us and shaping us by your Spirit, not to be conformed to the passions of our former lives, but to be transformed into children who reflect your glory. In your name we ask it. Amen. I'm going to finish with our closing hymn this morning. Hear the call of the King. Thank you.